Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. It's AFC draft review time, Sam. Ready to go? I am now. Yeah, you 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 held your intro for just long enough to get me to start my audio up and running. So this will function. Well done. Good work. Got my audio going, too. We're ready. Let's do this thing. Um, first guy's already in the chat saying, let's talk Bills. Well, they are up first. Nice. We're going to go through all of the AFC teams, tell you what we loved, tell you what we liked less when it comes to the draft. <laughs> like, I like that. Be. You're skewing positive, just like our GPA in the grades. <sighs> uh, don't even start. I'm try- Don't start, because you'll, you'll spend 15 minutes on it. It's a bad um, system. We're gonna, That's all I'm saying. We're going to go through uh, every AFC team today. And then every NFC team on Thursday. Before we start, don't forget get to pff.com. Draft twenty twenty two zero two zero is where you get all you get. Well, that's your promo code. First of all, thirty percent mm. off Edge or Elite. That's where you get the draft guide to learn about all these players your team drafted, even some of the undrafted guys. Over twelve hundred fifty pages of awesome Jeff Ratcliffe's fantasy rookie outlook. And if you guys haven't seen it yet, when you are logged in as a subscriber, we have a whole new section on the site that show uh, team breakdowns and depth charts and weave the grades in there. It's just beautiful. So um, you got to check it out. It's draft 2020 2-0-2-0, 30% off edge or elite for the entire year. All right. We're going through the AFC, starting with the Buffalo Bills. We'll go through the AFC uh, East first. The Bills did not have a first round pick. That was traded for Stefan Diggs. I think that's a big win with your first rounder. Anyway, uh, Key picks include A.J. Epinesa, the edge defender out of Iowa, a guy that we had a first-round grade on. They get him in the second. Jake Fromm, the quarterback out of Georgia, goes in the fifth. 
Uh, what would you think of this uh, Bills draft, Sam? Yeah, I think it was solid. Um, like you say, you got to consider that they didn't have the first round pick. Um, I, where are you on the idea of, you know, phrasing things as their first round pick was Stephon Diggs? Because some mean, people hate that. Austin said he hates that. But Renner I mean, hates I don't, it as well. But that's what they did with their first rounder. It, it doesn't mean it. It doesn't mean it was their first round pick. It's how that asset was used. Yes. Now I the do, reason I don't. I, I'm kind of with them though that I don't like. I don't like just adding it in and saying this was their draft because that I'm wasn't. Not, but I'm not. But we haven't. I'm, I'm not explaining saying we did. I'm just asking where are you on that as a concept because that's what you would okay, be doing if you were looking deal. at it's this draft a, that way. It's not a part of draft grades, so to speak. Sure. It's not a part of evaluating the picks that you made, but it's a part of the narrative and the story. So mm-hmm. we're talking about the narrative and the story and what this means for the Bills. So we definitely have to explain what happened to the first round pick and then evaluate what they did with the rest of their picks separately, which is what we did yes. on the website. So our website did give them an A minus for their haul, yeah. uh, given what they were, what the, how they deployed their picks. I, I think it was solid. Um, Epinesa is going to be the player, I think, that makes or breaks the draft class because, A, he's a sort of unusual case, this sort of tweener, edge rusher, interior guy. How exactly they deploy him, how exactly he works out is going to be everything. I think Zach Moss, given the running backs that went off the board and where they went, is pretty valuable or pretty well, pretty good value for where they got him. Um, and then I really like the sort of receivers they got. I think they doubled up with lower round guys. I think both of whom are, are intriguing players. Jake Fromm to go to Buffalo is kind of fascinating because, I mean, I can't think of. I can't think of a quarterback depth chart that has had different further away variances from arm strength between maybe the, the strongest arm in the league and maybe the weakest arm in the league. There is going to be a receiver who is lining up doing drills and catching like one rep is going to be from the laser and the other rep is going to be from the noodle. Like that's just mean. That's hard. <laughs> like that, I just that just amuses me, to be honest. Between Allen and Fromm and between uh, Breeze and Jameis. Right. As far as uh, like people were completely were, I, different players. They tweeted something out and they were like, well, they had their backup as Matt Barkley, so they're used to it. And this is true, but even by Matt Barkley standards, Fromm's got a noodle. Yeah, Fromm's, Fromm's a good, he projects as a guy that would be a solid backup. Um, I, I love taking him in round five. I think he's fairly accurate, but I, I think he's more on that um, Cody Kessler. Right. Spectrum. And I saw people compare him actually to Matt Barkley. I saw other analysts well, use a Matt Barkley comp. He's a classic. He's, he's a classic case of my uh, my double slider uh, theory, right? His five to seven minutes per team. His arm strength is all the way down the bottom, so his anticipation and accuracy needs to shoot all the way up to the other end if he's got any kind of shot. And if it doesn't, he's probably not going to succeed. It's and it's not there yet, right? It's not completely there. Um, Again, love taking him in the fifth round. You know, those yeah. not so toolsy guys who are pretty good football players. You never know how they're going to end up. So I love taking those shots. Uh, Gabriel Davis adds uh, another, you know, pretty, a uh, pretty decent outside type of threat uh, to the receiving core. They already have the best receiving core potentially in the NFL. Um, you mentioned Zach Moss when you pair him with Devin Singletary. Mm-hmm. Right? If you talk about just missed tackle uh, machines, uh, both of those guys the yeah. last couple of years. So that offense is really coming together just to cap things on Epinesa though I've pegged the bills when people have talked about Yannick and and where you know I think Ryan Kerrigan could be on the trading block when we teams talk about maybe adding one extra pass rusher I feel like the bills between having some money to spend 
and having Jerry Hughes, then Mario Addison, you know, he's okay. Now adding AJ Epinesa, I thought that they were a team that could use that one veteran edge defender. Maybe Epinesa, uh, you know, solves some of that. Uh, it, that'd be high expectations in year one. They still could be in that market, but they did feel like a team that needed one more uh, pretty good pass rusher up front. Or a guy like Everson Griffin is still available for yeah. presumably not an awful lot. You know, maybe they maybe they add him before the season starts. Yep. So we did. We did like that draft. Do you have the other draft grades around the the universe that people posted? Yeah. Where did I put them? Uh, uh, um. So there was a <clears throat> there was a graphic going around yesterday trying to compare. Yeah, got it. Up. All of the grades. B- Buffalo. They range what is from the an A. Thing? We gave them an A minus. They range from an A to a C plus was the lowest from Ryan Dunleavy by the New York Post. But basically everybody gave them some form of B or A uh, to give them a 3.31 GPA, apparently. Great. Um, so we really like what the Bills did. Good job, Bills fans. Hashtag Bills Mafia. Nice little draft there. Um, also, Isaiah Hodgins, solid wide receiver. I, I love that in those. Dude, there's some people that love that know. guy. Um, yeah. Eric Crocker was a guy that really, I think he had him insanely high on his list of receivers. So he's, he's an intriguing one. All right, let's move on to the Miami dolphins, a team that we gave an a minus as well. And for different reasons, you know, they came in, uh, they made five, eight, 11 picks in the draft, a little different from Buffalo. They set up for this year. I think we liked what they did last year because they set up for this year by by trading trading down and trading for future first round picks. I mentioned on the the other night, I mean, my favorite thing they did was getting two at five. Yeah. You know, holding their two first round picks, 18 and um, 26, they ended up trading down, but holding their two first round picks and still getting Tua, that's the biggest win. What are your thoughts on the class? And I'll give you my very specific thoughts on what I think they did. That was just awesome. Yeah, again, it's I'm with you. It's all with the Tua thing. So Peter King's Football Morning in America column was really fascinating today. He was sort of embedded with the Bucks, um, and there's some real interesting detail in there about what they tried to do, what they did, and, and how their first round pick unfolded. And the big un, the big missing variable we talked about last time is we don't really know what went on, right? So you're like, ah. On the surface, ideally, the team could have done this, this, and this better, right? They could have traded back, added this, pick, you know, whatever. But you don't know whether they were trying to do that or how close they came or what else was on the table and all this kind of thing. So the wash or the the Bucks pick it looks kind of looks pretty good on the surface of it, right? They basically they they jump one spot and they drafted a really good tackle. Um, but when you hear what was happening. They were essentially calling every single team from seven onwards trying to trade up to get the guy that would have fallen to them where they were picking anyway. The, right. Literally, the only question mark was whether the 49ers, and this is interesting because the Bucks had a tell on the Joe Staley retirement thing that even Schefter didn't have at that point. Um, so the 49ers might have taken him. But basically, they were trying to trade up from seven onwards. And all they were doing at that point would have been setting fire to draft capital for no purpose. Um, as it turns out. So from the outside, it's like, wow, the Bucks handled that perfectly. From the inside, it's like, wow, they, for whatever it is, nine straight picks, they were trying to make the situation worse. Um, those stories are the, the I Dolphins, mean, those st- You're on mute, Steve. Whereas the Dolphins oh, yeah. are on the other side of this thing. They, again, they didn't do anything. Now, were they as masterful on the inside as it looks like they were from the outside, which is they set all the smoke screens so that, to a fell to five and they were able to take their guy without giving anything up 
or did they just kind of get lucky with the way things fell? You know, maybe they were trying to trade up the two or three didn't happen and they just, you know, they, they lucked into it, but this is what we can't tell. But from the outside, it looks like they nailed it. They set all the smoke screens. They played you for a sucker and (laughs) Tua was there when they picked at five, they snagged the quarterback. They wanted all along and everything's gravy from that point on. Uh, those are the best stories that come out. I mean, you th- all of the what ifs and the intricacies of uh, of the various things, because, we again, we only know this team, this player, this pick. Mm-hmm. And there was so much that went into it. You know, that was like the Cowboys a couple of years ago trying to trade up to get Paxton Lynch. Right. And then they stumbled into Dak Prescott in the fourth, uh, which, again, is part of the reason why, like, hey, taking shots on quarterbacks in rounds three, four, five. You know, absolutely, because you just you never really know. The the other Especially really interesting out on your top guy. Yeah, the other really interesting nugget from that is I was saying while it was happening that at the point where CD Lamb was available in the teens, the Vikings must have been really tempted to not maintain discipline and to go try and get him. Sounds like they might have been. They apparently called the Bucks and were trying to get up to wherever they were picking fourteen. So the Vikings potentially, instead of getting Jefferson Gladney and this first two rounds that we think nailed it they could have set fire to some of that draft capital thrown it all towards going at uh, to get cd lamb instead uh, and changed everything it's so that was amazing how close things get to completely different outcomes there was a report that the eagles also tried to get up to get uh, cd lamb as well and i think the falcons asked for a second rounder they turned it down that's a big we'll get to the eagles on thursday and their fans are very upset i tried to tell them they shouldn't be yesterday They're always but that upset. would have been i know but that would have been uh jalen rager and jalen hurts in exchange for cd lamb i mm. mean we should be writing these down and trying to keep track of these three right. years like here's what here's what they here's what they actually wanted to do yeah and what the difference uh, would have been i mean if jalen hurts has any kind of value i think that's a win you know, because there's, there's not a huge difference probably between Rager and C.D. Lamb unless one is a complete bust. I, I will say that about wide receivers of all the um, if the people that tuned into the draft show for all of the just trade down and take a wide receiver discussion that we had. Uh, there is a high bust rate for wide receivers. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is uh, there is a volatility to these positions that must be considered. So um, just circling back to the Dolphins right now, though, the thing I love the best is the roles you could see them filling out roles on their roster again i didn't love austin jackson at 18 i don't love him as a player uh good footwork has to work on his hands he feels like a developmental third round prospect that's too high for my liking we'll see what happens there with him robert hunt uh interior player that played a little tackle at louisiana i mean so jackson and hunt they're trying to add to that offensive line um to help tua they you know you need to do that so from a strategy standpoint like it Noah Igbenogany, their late first-round pick, only 20 years old. He has some beautiful matchup man coverage skills. Doesn't have a great feel for football right now. They're in a man-heavy scheme, though, and I think you can you can work with that. And the fact that he's playing the slot while you already have a per- two perfect outside corners in Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, that's great. So they're going to play man, and to follow the Patriots' blueprint. Remember the Patriots in 2000? It was 2014. I don't know if I've ever seen a team as perfectly constructed as their secondary for what they wanted to do. They wanted to play matchup man. So they, it was like, you know, old school five on five basketball. So they had Revis to cover the best route runner. They had Brandon Browner to cover whoever the big target was, right? He's not great at everything, but he's good at covering some big targets. They had Kyle Arrington, who was really good covering the slot. And they had Patrick Chung, who was really good at covering tight ends. 
They had Jamie Collins, who could cover running back. Everything that they wanted to deploy, they could do. They had an answer for what the offense was going to throw at them. So now the Dolphins, they had Brandon Jones, who in our draft guide gets a Patrick Chung comp because he's not a great all-around safety. He was much lower on our draft board than 70 where he went, but he's really good at covering tight ends. So I like that they can deploy their secondary secondary resources the way they need to be deployed. Then they grab Curtis Weaver, a guy that we had as a, for a first-round caliber player going in the fifth. Um, so overall, really, really like the Dolphins draft. Likes that they had a plan. I think Tua, obviously, is the thing that makes it work or not work. And those two offensive linemen, Austin Jackson and Robert Hunt, will be a huge key to this thing as well. Yep. How they develop. Good on the Dolphins? Also, they they drafted a long snapper. And uh, Daniel Jeremiah was like, I'm going to admit, I didn't watch the the LSU long snapper guy, so I don't have an awful lot here. Um, Our special teams guys informed me that he's good for a long snapper. So you may have drafted a long snapper, but apparently you drafted a good one. They were going to be a B-plus draft until we looked so up those numbers snapper, and moved, right. Changed everything. moved them up to A-minus. All right, moving on to the New England Patriots. I have an article on PFF.com today that is essentially saying it's business as usual for the New England Patriots. That is the headline coming out of Foxborough. What is the post-Tom Brady era? You know, the same thing. Some trades down, some trades up. Some versatile defensive players, a second round defensive back for like the 20th year in a row, a kicker. I mean, this is just Bill Belichick, you know, drafting with his dog. This is business as usual in New England. No panic in Belichick in the Patriots, despite not having Tom Brady. That's the story, I think. So I got asked on radio this morning, do you think there was ever a point in the draft where they were targeting a quarterback and it just sort of didn't unfold that way and they went different ways or were they from the outset going to be like yeah we're, we're looking for next year anyway we're either next year or the cam newton andy dalton sweepstakes whatever it is they were never really in the market for a 2020 draft quarterback the belichick had some quote that said that wasn't the plan right. to not get a quarterback and then they traded up here's the thing they traded up twice in the third round and usually when you trade up you're like okay This has to be a quarterback. You're investing a little extra to go get this quarterback. They traded up twice to get tight ends, both times. So if Belichick's being truthful and saying the intention was to draft a quarterback, it could not have been anybody after the top four. So it could have just been like Jalen Hurts in the second round. Like if there was one, uh, my guess is it was like if Tua falls, sure, we'll make a move. He goes at five. Um, They had a shot at Josh Love. Uh, Jordan Love, whatever they 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 passed on that and traded out. Jalen Hurts went just before him, uh, just before the 60th pick, right? Let me just double check that. Yeah, Jalen Hurts went at 53. The Patriots were at 60. I'm guessing if Belichick's saying, "Hey, we may have wanted a quarterback," and it just didn't work out that way, based off the other opportunities that they had to get a Jake Fromm, a Jacob Eason whoever else, Nathan Stanley, all these other guys, I'm thinking of maybe it was Jalen Hurts in the second round where they were considering it. That's just a guess. That would have been interesting. I think that the Patriots would have been in the market had, we said this before the draft, that if Tua started to slide, the Patriots were prepared to make a jump and go get him. But instead, that was all smoke. The Dolphins took him at five. And at that point, the Patriots are basically looking for 2021. I am kind of surprised that they didn't, punt entirely and try and get like a first round pick at a next year. Now, maybe they did. And again, like nobody was calling, nobody was biting, whatever. 
But yeah, I, if the Patriots come out of this draft having turfed their their top pick or top some one of their top two picks for a first round next year, I wouldn't have been surprised in the slightest. In fact, I would have expected them to do that. But yeah, it doesn't really look like they were targeting uh, quarterback. At which point, you're right. This the rest of this draft is like the most Patriots thing ever. We take an athletic. Uh, safe there's a defensive back from a small school that nobody else is really tracking that high. Josh Uchi is the pick that I absolutely love. I think him, yeah. I mean, I was saying that when I watched him, didn't really know what to do with him, but he struck me as a guy that could have this sort of Dante Hightower type um, career at the next level if the team's going to use him that way. Not quite a like-for-like like comparison, but the fact that he went to New England, I think is is unbelievably perfect for him. Yeah, I mean, they they filled out the the guys that they need to replace a little bit. Uche could play a Kyle Van Noy role. I mean, Van Noy was truly a half edge, half linebacker during the Patriots, uh, his Patriots run. Hightower has done similar things. Uche had the highest pass rush win rate of any edge defender yeah. over the last two years in the draft class. Like, he's pretty good. Um, so that was a good pick. The Kyle Duggar pick from Lenore Ryan, uh, small school, obviously, but he goes to the senior bowl has like 98th percentile athletic testing. And at the senior bowl showed he can cover tight ends. I posted a video of that on Twitter the other day, every top of the route, he had a little tug on the Jersey, just a little bit on a bunch of them, but it was more like the way he could close on the catch point and use that athleticism on the field. So I could see why he's intriguing. We talked about Patrick Chung earlier, like Duggar could probably be that matchup guy against tight ends and then develop uh, into uh, a more, you know, expanded safety role. Um, so I think that's a good, a good fit there. Anthony Jennings edge defender in the third round more of a run stopper. And then the two tight ends, Devin Asiasi and uh, Dalton Keene, they're both not incredibly athletic, but they're more athletic than the tight ends. The Patriots had on the roster last year. So that's what you got. Asiasi has got a little, he's huge. He's a monster. He's like 280. has a little wiggle on top of his routes. Dalton Keene's more of an H back move tight end, um, who moves, who does move well. Um, so all those guys will, um, I think their first five picks have a chance to to contribute, but it's an unexciting Belichick draft. Like if you still have Tom Brady, it's like, all right, yeah, really business as usual. There's no wide receivers, despite people thinking it's a big weakness. Belichick even said, hey, we spent a second rounder on Muhammad Sanu. Like they're sitting there waiting, saying we have Edelman. We need Sanu to be better. We need Nikhil Harry to develop. Like that's what they're expecting out of their wide receiver core. It's also what makes me think that their whole scenario is focused on next year anyway. Like, what's the point in getting a first-round receiver for Jarrett Stidham, right? Like, no, we're going we're gonna to maintain the defense because the defense is the one thing in this team that's really good right now. We're going to maintain the defense because, A, it won't be good enough that we win a bunch of games and we're out of the top of the draft next year anyway. And, B... If we then get the quarterback next year, we can't have a defense that's fallen to, to disrepair in the meantime while we wasted picks on weapons that weren't a factor. So they've maintained the defense. They're going to punt essentially on the offense until they have the quarterback, and it seems like they have to be focusing at the top of next year's draft to make that happen. So I, I think everything the Patriots did, their strategy is now laser-focused on the 2021 draft, and this year is about treading water until then. All right, it's a B for the New England Patriots. Rounding out the AFC East, we've got the New York Jets. Uh, a draft, I, where did we end up, Graydon? We went B plus, B plus with the Jets. This is one where I think really could go either way. Uh, hmm. There's, uh, you know, Makai Becton's the first pick at, at number 11. The offensive tackle, we talked quite a bit about their strategy. Let's go tackle first, grab receivers later. They followed that. 
I'm good with that as a strategy. We've also talked about Beckett, Beckton having some question marks and pass protection, uh, walling, run blocker. So, yeah, I'm fine with it. Uh, they needed a tackle. I like the idea of continuing to build that offensive line. And then Denzel Mims in the second, which you are not thrilled about because you don't think the pairing with Sam Darnold is great. Dude, somebody transcribed me saying that Denzel Mims was a, a loser of the draft day. Um, transcribed that, put it like p- took a picture of it on Twitter, tagged Denzel Mims and all of the Jets offensive linemen in it. And we're like, look at this guy calling Mims a loser. Like some people are just garbage. Like, so let me just say, look, you're not you're a fan of football. Obviously, this is why you got into this. I'm a fan of football, but our fandom does not compare to the fans that are trying. They're just trying to motivate their team. All right. Look, I can't do much behind my keyboard to help my team win. I'm not going to be in on a bunch of plays. But the one thing I can do is tag them on social media and motivate them. If you are, right? I mean, because Mims is going to be hanging that in his locker for the next eight years. He's going to have a 10 touchdown season and remember it because the guy transcribed it and sent it to him and motivated him. You're just helping your team win when you do that. That's if it. you are snitching on people on Twitter, tagging players in that, you are a genuinely worthless human being. Like You need to find better followers, man. That's that is a is. cretinous thing to, to be doing, ever. Um, I look, I, as, even, in, even in that quote, I love Denzel Mims. I was higher on him than most people. I think Josh Norris might have beaten me overall. <laughs> But outside of Josh, I was right there with him. I think Mims might have been the third best receiver on this draft. I just have massive concerns that the Jets are the team he gets to show that with. I, Sam Darnold has shown flashes. But the same thing, that sentence holds true right back to the start of his college career. Sam Darnold has basically only ever shown flashes, whether it's in college or the NFL. Um, he has yet to develop into the kind of guy that can elevate the play of a receiver Um the offensive line that they've added, they've added a ton of them. And the potential is there for all of those guys. They've all shown flashes of being good again, but the potential is also there for all of them to work out badly. Like even guys, you know, people are like, what about McGovern and Greg Van Roten? Yeah, it, their most recent evidence is good. And, you know, it's good, not great. But there's also a lot of bad in there as well. You don't have to go back far before those guys have crappy grades. So my whole point is that I think you've added like six or seven offensive linemen. I don't know that any of them is better than a coin flip um, to be good next year. Now, maybe you can argue that guys like McGovern and Van Roan, because their most recent play is the best of, of their career, they're more than a coin flip. But OK, let's say and you know, somebody was saying, well, if three of those coin flips work out, it's better. It's way better than last year. True, but it probably does take three to make to move the needle. Like if two right. coin flips work out and they're they got two good players in the offensive line and three bad, that's still a terrible offensive line. If one works out, it's it's useless. If three work out, eh, probably depending on how bad the other two weak links are. My whole point is that the entire Jets approach has been one of relatively unsure things. Um, gamble. I don't. You know, they've been. Fine. I don't know what their other. What are the other options, though, Sam? For the offensive they line? Have, they didn't have many other options on well, the offensive line, right? Yeah, no, they did. They absolutely did. 
let's instead of just throwing volume at guys that have been good and bad, let's sign Jason Peters and lock down a spot that you know is good. Let's trade for Trent Williams and lock down a spot that well, I don't have to worry about left tackle anymore. There are pl- I there were trade plenty future of draft. options. They're not. They have so much rebuilding to do. They still have even with the recent investments, still have one of the worst groups of receivers and corners. I mean, their short-term outlook is not good. Sure. Right? They are not good in the right spots. They would need their receivers. They need Brashad Perryman to play like the first uh, first rounder, which yep. he showed flashes of last year. They need Denzel Mims to contribute, or they need Josh Doxson to play like a first rounder. That's probably not Or, right. or their short-term outlook is not good. Right. Um, so, I mean, I don't know what other options they have. I think it, it's got to be – it's a slow build over there for Joe Douglas. I just think it is. I'm not saying they made the right moves. Okay. But I'm, just not, I'm just not saying – I don't think there was like a, a you know, door number two that had a whole bunch of better options, you know? The problem with a slow build is how long do you give Sam Darnold before you start looking for a quarterback again? Like, this is basically it for Darnold. If you, if you don't know what he is at the end of this year, you have to start looking again. And if you don't, and you're not going to know what he is at the end of this year, if everything around him is still terrible, you, you have to set realistic expectations and say, can you at least just elevate what we've given you? We've given you crap, but elevate it. I mean, that's mm. what you want to see. Elevated crap. That's what you, that's how you define, um, Darnold yeah. season. So look, but at left tackle Mims, they're, they're, they're attacking the, the right positions. I think there's just, there's a little boom or bust to, to these guys. Um, yeah, that's and that's. that's yeah, exactly I still would have liked point. to see more receiver investment too. Yes, a little bit later that, on in the draft. That is exactly the point, right? In a vacuum, I don't think this is a bad draft at all. It does. The only issue I have with it and them generally is I think their entire approach to this rebuild has been a little bit boomer bust in every single instance. And okay, you you hope that the net of all that, that the media, the mean of all these gambles is enough of them pay off that things go well. But if I'm trying to rebuild from the ground up, I want more sure things than I want boom or bust gambles. Like look at the dolphins, uh, right? It. The dolphins did more sure things than they did boom or bust gambles. And I think that's a smarter way of doing it. Um, Ashton Davis in the third round was a good value pick, a guy that there's some injury question marks and some workout question marks because he didn't work out, but he was a guy that we thought as, as a fringe first round talent, Bryce Hall is a steal. And Bryce Hall in the fifth round is an absolute steal as well. Again, injury concerns, but the payoff there could be great because he looked like a future first round corner after the 2018 season uh, forced in completion rate of 28.2%. That was the best in 2017 and 18 in college football. So there's a lot to like about that. this Jets draft could look really good in a couple of years. Yep. Like every draft, we'll see what happens with Makai Becton and Denzel Mims. They'll uh, they'll determine a lot of it. So. That is the AFC East. We're going slower than expected, Sam, as always. AFC North, Cincinnati Bengals. Are they the winners of the draft? They get Joe Burrow, and they get Joe Burrow. There we go. Mm. They already win. Good job, Bengals. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Getting Joe Burrow essentially puts a very firm floor on how you could grade this draft in that, in theory, they've got a quarterback that's good enough that it completely transforms their their franchise it sends them in a completely different direction that alone makes it pretty good to follow that up with t higgins at the top of the second i think is a really nice way of doing it i'm a huge fan of okay we got the quarterback now let's give him a receiver to come in with and sort of immediately build a new you know qb to wide receiver combination i think that's a really good methodology and then they added some some defense lower down i don't I don't know that I love any of those players, but they targeted a position of weakness 
And I can't hate that. Marcus Bailey in the seventh round from Purdue was like he with without injury concerns, he would be drafted much higher. Logan Wilson, solid player from Wyoming, a little bit higher than we would have taken him. And then Akeem Davis Gaither, another linebacker with some edge rush ability from App State. So the three of those guys, linebacker has been an issue for years mm -hmm. for the Bengals. So this was one way to attack it in volume. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's obviously Burrow and T Higgins that are the key here. I think the Higgins question now, I, I'm writing this for the site tomorrow. Is AJ Green a trade candidate now? We've talked about this before. He's franchise tagged. And my thought was, so the debate is like, is he part of the long-term plans, right? Past his 32-year-old season this year. And then whether he is or not, should you at least be listening to offers? And if you're going to be listening to offers, do you do it now? Or do you let him play four, five, six weeks, prove that he's healthy, help the development of Joe Burrow? Much like in 2012, Reggie Wayne had one last hurrah with Andrew Luck during his rookie season, but he was clearly not a part of the long-term uh, rebuild for the Colts. So I, I think that is something to keep an eye on this offseason. What do they do with AJ Green? Because right now, like if you trot out a healthy AJ Green, rookie T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and whatever you make of John Ross staying out, you know, still being there, you could do some damage with that group. I just don't know if the Bengals still need to have this forward looking approach and say, let's get something for Green before he ends up walking at the end of the year. I liked your idea that you kind of keep him around for at least the first sort of six weeks and then potentially ship him before the trade deadline. That, to me, makes some sense. I also think at this point, play out the year. Like, help Joe Burrow as much as possible. If he walks in free agency at the end of it, you get a compensatory pick in a year's time. I, 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 don't, I, don't, think it's, I don't think there's a huge downside to keeping him on, and even if you lose him without you know getting a trade pick back, I don't think that's a bad thing. Somebody in the comments was uh, making the point that the Dolphins drafted an injury-prone quarterback at five and therefore a big risk, just like the Jets. I would simply make the point that I think the risk there is significantly less than drafting a Justin Herbert, say. If I'm taking a risk, I will take a risk on a guy that's had some injuries before I take a risk on a guy that has had playing football problems. That's my point. Like, yeah, I think I mean, look, Tua is we, a far safer pick than a lot of these other guys. When we evaluate our... Hey, I mean, a lot of it, it, when we evaluate what teams did, a lot of it's based off our evaluations as well. And we evaluated yeah. Tua as a potential franchise quarterback and Herbert as a, as a big question mark. So that's a big, that's a part of it as well. So uh, Bengals, I believe we gave them an A. We did. Yeah. Uh, they took care of business. Um, the one question is going to be uh, offensive tackle or just offensive line in general. They only added Hakeem Adeniji from uh, Kansas, a tackle slash guard, uh, likely conversion. So I think... Um, we were talking about this yesterday in the draft recap show. You can't fill every need in the draft. I think the Bengals are going to have to be shrewd uh, throughout this process during the offseason. Uh, whether or not there's a training camp, whatever happens, are there some cuts? Are there some trade opportunities? Is a guy like Riley Reef from the Vikings going to get cut? A guy that if you, know, if, if you picked him up and slotted him in at right tackle to go with Jonah Williams coming back at left tackle, like you're immediately creeping back to he's he is mr creep back toward average riley reef you know he's yeah. an upgrade over bobby hart you know so i think the bengals if they want to shore up that offensive line might have to go this um you know clever route the rest of the there's other ways to pick up players so to speak so uh, since he will have to be in that market i think um so we gave them an a going on to the cleveland browns here uh they had it, it wasn't a high volume draft for them like we've seen in the past they had seven picks 
and their first three picks are all guys that had first round grades from us. Yes. Um, that's a good win. And, and it's not, I don't know if it's the flashiest positions or anything, but Jedrick Wills at tackle fills the need. He's going to, I'm assuming he's going to move over to left tackle with Jack Conklin coming over to play right. Grant Delpit in the second round, the safety out of LSU, and then Jordan Elliott, the interior defensive lineman out of Missouri. We loved him, thought he was a first-round value. I expected him to go in the second round. I was surprised to see him there in the third. So obviously like uh, what he brings to the table. Yeah, Jordan Elliott was one of the more confusing draft day drops. Um, Elliott and Josh Jones are the two that I really didn't have a good explanation for. Um, like you say, there's, there's some guys that we like and you understand why they're falling. You know, Curtis Weaver, we talked about this before. Ben Stockwell, when he watched him play, he was like, I think he's going to be on a day three pick. Um, and, you know, we've been talking about right. him as potentially a first round caliber talent the same way we did with Trey Flowers back in the day. But you at least understood, right? It made sense why teams would not like that guy and why he would fall that far. Elliot, I don't really see the negative. I don't see the downside to the point where he goes from whatever about us pushing him for a first rounder. But as you say, out of the second into the third, I don't get that. There's too much upside. You know, when you look at our grades just in the SEC, right? SEC, the bastion of all NFL play. It's the, the vintage college conference. It's where you look for all the quality. Jordan Elliott had the best grade just against SEC people, not uh, Derek right. Brown, not um, Javon Kinlaw, Jordan Elliott. So like this guy was proven quality against quality competition and fits what the NFL wants to do right now, which is pass rush. So I think getting him in the third is an absolute steal. It's one of the best picks in the draft. Um, Wills, Delpit, as you say, they're also guys really high up on our list. So I think they nailed this draft with the one, two, three, kind of like the Vikings. They could have checked out after those first three picks and they would have had a good draft. I mean, you even add Harrison Bryant, the tight end out of Florida Atlantic. I know some other, uh, we liked him uh, among a, a poor tight end class, but I um, know some other people that really liked him around the league. I think with Bryant, uh, paying the money to Austin Hooper, David and Joku's there, the 2017 first rounder. There are some rumors about him potentially being on the trading block. Uh, so that just gives them some flexibility. Uh, new head coach, Kevin Stefanski used all that two tight end, 12 personnel last year with the Minnesota Vikings. It seems like that's what they want to continue. Uh, again, the question mark is wide receiver. Do you feel good enough about Odell, Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry? Um, and then guys like Taiwan Taylor, uh, as the number three, I think that's a place where the same way the Bengals should be looking. I think the Browns might be able to find some value. The point I made on our show yesterday morning, right? Every time our colleagues said, you got to draft a wide receiver. It's the deepest class. It's the deepest class. My counterpoint to that is because there's a million wide receivers coming into the league. Now there is still some talented wide receivers that are going to, you know, hit the streets yeah. at some point, right? They're going to get pushed off of rosters and be valuable players, whether John Ross, right? I would, t I would take a flyer on a John Ross reclamation project. If he became a free agent, I'm just using him as an example, uh, a guy like Deshaun Jackson, like there's no room for him in Philadelphia anymore. They just got four guys that they hope can be the next Deshaun Jackson. So, you know, he's going to be out there. I don't. Uh, so the teams that didn't get one of these top receivers in the draft in this really loaded class, I think there's going to be some talent out there on the street. I think the Browns, would be smart to look and and, and and improve that wide receiver core. But as far as what they got for value, I uh, really like it. Grant Delpit can cover tight ends. 
He's got really good range on the back end. I like what he brings as a safety when he's not missing tackles. My uh, my guy, uh, Devin Smith as well, potentially available for you know nothing once this starts to shake itself out. But the other point, Love our speedsters. The other point I think is that it means there's some good players available, like at the back end of the of this draft, right? Some good receivers and even guys like undrafted free agents. There are some undrafted free agents that sign that I think will make rosters and contribute. So the yeah. Browns take a swing on Donovan Peoples Jones. I mean, he's not a he's a good receiver. There's a chance that he works out with a better quarterback situation than Shea Patterson. Like I, I don't. That was hate, a worthwhile risk, right? That's sure. what I mean. Like you take a guy in the sixth that in a no, in a normal draft is like a third round receiver. Like if you start if you start looking at some of these receivers as like an extra third round pick, essentially, it starts to change the dynamic of how you evaluate the the class a little bit. I like I like diversifying my my day three picks. Right, if you deploy your fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round picks in a in in different manners, so you could take them and you could flip them for like a Calais Campbell. You can you can flip them for an established veteran. I think that's where you find your run stoppers. You know, you find guys that are going to fill a specific role and contribute. You find run stoppers. You find potential starting linemen like a Tyler Biotish that the Cowboys got a starting center. Um, And then you get the athletes, right, who, you know, they might be a little bit more boom or bust or, you know, they had some situations that held them down from a production standpoint, like a Donovan Peoples Jones. So um, it's, it's easy to like day three picks when they kind of fall into those different categories. Pittsburgh Steelers did not have many picks, only six. Uh, yep. Started with six, ended with six B minus grade for them. I don't think it was anything flashy here. Chase Claypool, the wide receiver out of Notre Dame. I think they'll make use of him, right? I think he's a vertical threat. And when you pair him with the other pieces on the table, Juju Smith Schuster as more of a high end possession receiver, right? Who could work out of the slot. Deontay Johnson, your route runner, James Washington, and Chase Claypool can both stretch the field a little bit with different body types. So I don't, I don't hate it as a pick. Their first round pick, of course, was used hmm. to trade for Minka Fitzpatrick. Yeah, uh, this, is a, this is one of the draft classes that I don't love, but I don't hate it either. I mean, it's just, like you say, solid, sort of unsp- unspectacular, not flashy. They just sort of ticked off some players of positions that, that they had to fill in the roster and did a reasonable job of it. So, yeah, this is one I really don't have a lot to say on. Kevin Dotson uh, is a fourth round interior lineman who's got a chance to compete at guard. Again, fill, that fits like if you get a day three guy that could fill a starting role, Dotson's there. He's got some work to do in pass protection. And then Alex Highsmith, the edge defender in round three, small school out of Charlotte. But he can he can get around the edge. And, you know, from a Steelers perspective, they put a ton of, you know, a ton of pressure on those edge defenders. Right. They need those guys to perform in their scheme. Bud Dupree franchised. So I, I, I'm calling him Bud Dupree insurance. Mm. And they do truly attack that position every like We always say draft a quarterback every year in the draft, like the Steelers draft an edge rusher every single year because it's that important to their system. So with TJ Watt on one side, Bud Dupree potentially gone within a year. Alex Highsmith certainly worth a shot at the 102nd pick yeah. in the draft. This is another one where it all sort of hinges on the one guy, right? It kind of, to me, this entire draft class swings on what Chase Claypool becomes and even how they deploy him. You know, he was getting a lot of buzz, the tight end in the draft process because of his size and his measurables and how sort of freaky an athlete it turned out he was. And then you watch how he was winning at the senior bowl. So how he gets used and, and how he develops is going to be the, the thing. I, that I trust this. I think the Steelers would be one of the teams. I haven't listened to the press conferences to, because they usually explain what their plan is in the post post draft press conferences. I haven't listened 
But of all the teams, I would expect the Steelers maybe to do it. Like if if Claypool went to like a, a Shanahan system or a McVay or you know one of, or Matt Lafleur, like one of those systems that truly just says like you're an inline tight end, that's what you do. We'll move you around a little bit, but they don't really have a big difference. A tight end is different from wide receiver in their system. The Steelers feel like a team that would adjust a little bit. That has three wide receivers that they feel decent about. But they also have just Vance McDonald at tight end and some question marks. I could see them experimenting with a hybrid role with Claypool. Like if I drafted Claypool, I don't know if I'd take him as high as a second, but I just think the payoff is a tight end, not wide receiver. So I would do just like we always say, uh, let a guy stay at tackle until he fails yeah. because the payoff at tackle is better than guard. I think the payoff for him at tight end to become a Darren Waller conversion is just so great. You have to try it. And then the fallback is, okay, you're a vertical threat at tight end with some ball control, with some body control that can, that can do some nice things. So that's my feeling on the Steelers draft. Unexciting, but uh, Claypool is going to be a big, a big part of it. B minus for the Steelers, Uh, Baltimore Ravens. We ended up with a B for them. The Ravens who we always say make great decisions (laughs) did draft a running back in the second round. Everybody else thinks this is one of the best drafts in the entire NFL. Explain to me what it is they're seeing to make them think that. Because, I mean, it's not, I think it's there's a not role. bad. But I, I can't, I mean, I, there, when you consider some of the other drafts out there, right? I can't it's see how you can best, argue it's one think. of the best. It is. So there's a role for the top four guys, right? Um, Patrick Queen, speedy linebacker. Love what he adds to their back seven, which already has... Uh, an athletic, a versatile bunch. We've talked about it quite a bit about how the Ravens have uh, safeties playing linebacker and all this stuff. He's just another asset on the back end. He moves like a safety. He's an inexperienced football player, only a little over a thousand snaps in his career, but he can make plays on the ball in coverage. That's a win. Skip J.K. Dobbins for a second. Justin Matabuike, the third round pick. We had him as a second round value as an interior defensive player. When I watch him, I just think technique. The guy wins, knows how to destroy blocks. I think he's a contributor up front. And then Devin Duvernay, sub 4-4 speed, slot receiver type that has running back type after the after the catch skills. Like you put that, you wanted LaVisca Chenault in this offense. This right. is, it's light, you know, LaVisca light, right? In Duvernay, yeah. you get him in the third round. Great. Um, and then even the late picks, you know, like a Geno Stone, we liked quite a bit. Like sure. that dude could contribute as a coverage safety. Um, I think where we don't like it as much is the process of adding a running back in the second round. And the fact that there are better players on the board and J.K. Dobbins will probably produce there. But the Ravens have shown that anybody is going to produce in that system because of all the pieces around them. Right. It's like I say, I I'm, I definitely don't want to act like I hate hate the draft, that I think it's a bad one. It's just so this this sort of uh, accumulation of all the grades thing that somebody posted. Who is the guy that posted this? But Rene Bugner is the guy that posted it on Twitter. Um there's 13 draft grades that he's got in here. 10 of the 13 gave the Ravens some form of A. Um, two of the three that didn't gave them a B plus. We were the lowest people out there with a B. So I just, you look at this and I, I just don't see A. I think, you know, Patrick, Patrick Queen is a nice pick. Um, it's around the area where he should have gone. On the other hand, it isn't one of the most valuable positions for a team that understands what value should be, etc. Dobbins is even more a sort of a, a, an anti-value type of pick. He'll be good in that system. It's ironic because the, the running backs that went high, you know, J.K. Dobbins um, 
Edwards Hilaire for the Chiefs. I think both those guys will look fantastic, but I think the reason that's true is because they went to the two best running back environments in football. Get out. Um, so it's it's like he'll look great, but every all the data says that it's it's a it's a poor allocation of resources because of what's involved in generating that look. Like I say, it, it's it's good. It's solid across the board. I just don't quite understand where all the A plus talk is coming from. I think it's because some people thought J.K. Dobbins was like a fringe first round running back. So the people, the people who don't have their top running back at seventy four on their draft board like we do, <laughs> probably look at this and say Queen and Dobbins, both potential first round players, or rumored. So they got two first round players, Matt right. a second round player they got in the third, Duvernay maybe a second round player they got in the. You know, what I mean, I think they just to a lot of people perception wise, they got players around later than they expected them to go. So um, it's solid all around. I mean, Ben Bredesen, Bredesen, I think uh, uh, has starting potential at guard, man. If you could find a starting guard on day three, like you can't ask for much more. And he's at least in that mix, I think. So um, I like him better than Tyre Phillips from Mississippi state. Who's just a big monster mauler, but you know, there's, there's a, diversified funds here which is good mm-hmm. so we like that we thought the ravens were solid b yeah. could have made some better decisions as well all right now i gotta go back to the top where, where else are we going here in the afc let's go afc south we're halfway through sam yay all right houston texans this one will be quick they used <laughs> their first round pick on laramie tunsell so mm. they did not have a first round pick the for the first uh, or second only, time that's the first time they did it first right? Yeah. Is their first first rounder. Um, they only had five picks total. They had Ross Blacklock, the interior defensive lineman from TCU. He's a good, solid player. Decent value there. Jonathan Grenard, probably a little high for him. The edge defender out of Florida in the third round at 90th overall. Their best pick may have been John Reed, the cornerback out of Penn State in the fourth. Uh, but yeah, only the five picks. And I know you can't just pick a million corners, but I have some massive question marks about the Texans corners. I think they're just there's just a lot of hope that the Houston secondary <laughs> is going to develop next year or the same thing I talked about before. They're going to hit the, you know, cut day and the free agent. Why? I mean, they're they're going to have to get creative, I think, to get some more bodies in there that could potentially be good. The Texans are a team that I have no earthy idea what they're doing. Um, not that it's necessarily bad, although the evidence suggests it might be but I don't even know what the plan is. Like the Jets, at least, I I don't necessarily agree with their strategy, but it's a pretty defined one, right? They're taking a lot of swings at a lot of guys that are boom or bust, and if it all pays off, they go from worst to first pretty quickly. The Texans, what what is the strategy overall? They got faster at receiver, sure, but in order to do that, they sent away one of the best receivers in the NFL. Um, Their first pick in this draft here that they actually had is effectively just replacing a guy they let walk in free agency. So, okay, you got cheaper, I guess, but it's, is it making you better overall? Um, so that's that's the this is the underlying issue here, Sam, right? The Texans, since they traded up for Deshaun Watson, right, which we always say quarterback, and they hit mm-hmm. on a quarterback, huge win. Great job. Since that point, they never replenished the Watson picks, and then – compounded that by spending multiple picks to go get Laramie Tunsil. Now Tunsil, and, and they didn't get enough for Jadavian Clowney, right? So after you trade up for the quarterback, 
to build around him, you have to draft in volume. They have done the opposite. They have not been able to draft in volume. And what that has forced them to do is to go into, say, last year's draft with a massive hole at offensive line and just spend it on offensive linemen. In the previous year's draft, they needed offensive linemen, and they and they didn't have a pick till the third round. And, and so they're just like a year behind in development where it's like, okay, this year we got to get, get the offensive line set. Now we have to replace some defensive linemen. That's what they're doing now. They're just like a year behind because they don't have enough draft picks. And it's going to happen again because they only had five picks this year. Next year, there's going to be the same issues in the secondary. They're not going to have enough picks to replenish them. And they're just working from behind. That's where the Texans are right now. So hire me. I'll solve it. And it's this constant high wire act, right? Because, all right, if you're going to be low on picks, you need to maximize the areas of value. So, okay, the offensive line is a concern. But on the other hand, we can mitigate that if we've got the quarterback and we've got a a top receiver for him to throw to. So the new Compkins, Deshaun Watson combination was so vital for that. Now you actually secure a decent left tackle in Tunsil, but then you trade away Hopkins. And okay, you could do that if you were trying to, you know, if that assembled you a massive amount of draft capital. Like if you were using Hopkins to replenish your draft picks, but it didn't because you, I know, like, right. David that was, Johnson was a huge make mistake. It's the biggest mistake of the Hopkins deal. And I don't know if that was a personal issue with Bill O'Brien. I don't know what happened there. Even if they, we said this before, if they had to make the trade, it's got to be a massive haul and it's got to be something that could completely redo that roster or free up the kind of money that allows you to throw tons of resources somewhere else. But again, you use David Johnson as the make weight. So you didn't even save money doing it. Like the cap hit is the same. It's absurd. So as, as far as their actual players with Blacklock, again, I think he's a good solid player. Uh, he is a DJ. He's a, he's a little bit of a project because of the TCU system, the way they used him. But man, he brings, he fires off the ball, low pad level. He'll do some things. Grenard is not a great athlete from Florida. Was a very, he just, he wins with his hands. He's just a solid edge. He's solid, right? John Reed could be a, a hit in the fourth round. Charlie Heck, developmental offensive tackle. Isaiah Coulter, big body developmental wide receiver. Yeah, and that's their, that's their draft. Their last two picks are the ones I like the best. I think John Reed has potential to really impact that secondary, and I think Isaiah Coulter could make an impact on our receiving core that suddenly needs help because of trading away yeah. uh, New Hopkins. We gave him a C plus for the Houston Texans. Um, Indianapolis Colts, we gave him a B. It, it started out great with uh, Michael Pittman, the wide receiver out of USC, top uh, second pick of the second round. They came back with their own running back pick, Jonathan Taylor, at 41 overall uh, round three, Julian Blackman, the safety out of Utah. Renner's got a great take that he's, uh, he's a big long safety who had you know, played corner before, and they might be trying to bring him back there too. I love that as a concept. And it's something the Colts uh, like to dabble into Jacob Eason, potentially their, you know, their number three quarterback right now with Jacoby Brissett on the roster. Maybe the future backup, maybe the future starter mm. with Philip Rivers moving on Danny Pinter, the former tight end turned guard give me all of your former tight ends on the offensive line love it um so yeah i think there's some some really good picks here of course from a process standpoint we always question the the running back pick in the second but i'll tell you jonathan taylor he's one of those guys that's just going to produce at the next level especially behind this offensive i haven't checked this but i would be (laughs) i would bet money that we probably if you drafted a running back we didn't give any draft above a b that would be my assumption i haven't checked that with our grades but if you drafted him in the first two rounds yeah i would 
I would think so. So the probably. Colts were one of those teams that I wrote heading into the draft, I think, had given themselves a really small target area that they needed to stick the landing on because of what they'd done already. So they, the Colts, it was because they traded their first-round pick for DeForest Buckner to load up on the D-line. But you bring in Phillip Rivers, and suddenly he's throwing to T.Y. Hilton and what else? Um, so they basically put themselves in a spot of, all right, we need a receiver in a, in a deep draft class to last till this, the top of the second round. They got one. They got Michael Pittman Jr., who I think is quietly one of the more polarizing receivers in this draft. Renner really liked him. Austin Gale loves the guy. I was less sold on him, but I think he's, I think for this spot, he's really good value. So they got their receiver. I don't hate Jonathan Taylor as a pick in the second round either. Look, I, the running back abstract value thing where you take those guys is one thing. But when you consider the running backs that are already gone, I think Jonathan Taylor at that spot is good value. I think he's going to come in. He speaks to this idea of, all right, we have Phillip Rivers, but we are still going to rely on the best run-blocking offensive line in football. We're going to take the pressure off him as much as possible. Um, and then Eason in the fourth, I think, is really interesting because Rivers is only on that one-year deal. They They right. know they have... Uh, Jacoby Brissett there to be a backup, but Eason is one of those big boomer bust developmental guys. Can he actually become something after a year to the point where they go, yeah, we now have a succession plan. They hamstrung themselves a little bit with Brissett because they had to do the whole, we're going to pay you because you're our starter going into the 2019 season when they didn't really have to, right? Um, he, it makes it more difficult to trade right now. I was thinking he might be a trade candidate, maybe back to New England, who still could be looking for a starter. Um, but there's a decent size uh, dead cap hit if they do that. Um, but yeah, Easton perfect in the fourth round as a developmental player. Again, he's six five six six with a cannon. Those guys almost always get um, some kind of first round hype. Uh, maybe it's it's not good that he didn't get that much of it. Mm. Um, tells you where he is developing as a player. But I'll take that in the fourth. And you know, Pittman I think is a nice compliment to T Y Hilton. My you know, my question on the Taylor thing is we keep talking about the deep wide receiver class and how the Colts, I thought, were definitely a prime candidate to double up at receiver early, not a Desmond Patman late like they did in the sec in the sixth round from Washington State. So um, there were some other pretty decent options are, uh, available at, at 41. So they've also um, like they've got it's a well-rounded offense, though. Yeah. I'll say that. They've also they've already got a good ground game, you know, between Mack and Hines. Um, is it yeah. uh, Phillips? Or no. Yeah. Who's who's their third back there that was getting some? Uh, playing Jordan Wilkins. Well. Yeah, yeah, Wilkins. That's it. Um, so yeah. like those three were already platooning to be a pretty good backfield again, because the offensive line being the best in the NFL when it comes to run blocking is the thing that generates that moves the needle the most. Now, Taylor, right. I think, is better than any of those three guys. So he should still, you know, move the needle a little bit. But the point is, are you moving it enough going from like already good to potentially really good versus adding another receiver or whatever? The um, the receiving core with T.Y. Hilton, Michael Pittman, who can be um, he brings more size, mm -hmm. a little after the catch ability. Right. And then Paris Campbell is going to be huge. Second rounder in 2019. We didn't think he was a polished wide receiver, brings a ton of speed to the table. Do they make him more into that gimmicky type of number three? The pushing Paris Campbell down the depth chart, though, is a huge win. Yeah. Kind of like we talked about, like Nikhil Harry in New England, like if you don't have to rely on him as a one or two. There's some value there, right? There's, there's something to do, something you can use there. So I think the Colts are, are well-rounded. 
if Rivers does have the rejuvenation, they're they're I think they're in for a good season. So yeah. um, we went B with them because yeah, they drafted a running back in the second round. Can't do that, Sam. Mm. Can't be having that. Uh, on to the Jacksonville Jaguars. C.J. Henderson in the first round, Caleb on Chase on in the in the first round as well. Renner loved this draft. He gave it an A. Right. Um, I think the the high end potential between Henderson, Chase on, and then love the Lavisca Chenault pick in the second round. They they brought it back down to earth with a Devon Hamilton interior defensive line pick uh, from Ohio State in the third round. That's like after three guys that could be home runs, you just have your nice safe. This dude's going to get in there, play five six hundred snaps, and stop the run and be solid. So I like that. Uh, big, big, huge receiver, Colin Johnson in the fifth round. Uh, don't know what he'll do at the NFL level, but he's worth a look there with how, just how monstrous he is. So uh, Ben Bartsch, the offensive tackle from Little St. John's, could be a guard conversion at the next level and, and, and actually play. So, um, yeah, I think it's a good, solid-looking draft. What do you think of Chenault? In yeah. The second so them. this is a draft where this is the opposite of the Ravens one, right? Instead of being the lowest on the draft compared to everyone else, we were basically the highest on this draft compared to everyone else. And I'm kind of leaning towards other people on this. I I get why Renner likes it because Renner likes it essentially because he thinks they're targeting Trevor Lawrence next year. And it's like, I got a whole bunch of boomer bust guys that even if they pan out, aren't going to be good year one, but year two, they'll be fantastic right when Trevor Lawrence is coming in. I mean, I think the boomer bust guys tend to be more. I think the boomer bust is more definitive than it just takes a year for them to be bust or to, for them to be booms. I just think I don't love CJ Henderson as high as that. I think I get why people like him. He's a freaky movement athlete and, you know, has all the skills that should be a better player than he ever has been. But the fact that he never has been is the thing that concerns me. Caleb on chase on it's a similar sort of story. The production has not been there. And I know those guys have panned out before. And even LSU guys like that have panned out before in terms of Janelle Hunter. I just don't, that scares me, right? They're basically their entire draft has been like that other than Davon Hamilton. I do like Chenault though. I think again, I know he's an injury risk, but I would take injury would be the thing that I would gamble on the most, right? Because I don't think that it's that stable as a concept. I think if a guy has a couple of data points, like college is a four year career, right? And for a lot of these guys, it's a three-year career because if you're really good, you're out of there, the earliest opportunity. So if you have two injuries in a three-year career, you're injury-prone, right? Because that's two. That's two-thirds of, yeah. your, two-thirds of your time you got injured. So, so you're brittle. So you're Chad Pennington, right? Like maybe he never gets hurt again. Like two, inju- two injuries is not a lot. You can get that pretty quickly and, ne- and bounce back and they're freakish. And more to the point, the guys that like, you know, people, who the hell knows? Most of us just talk about injuries as if we have any idea what we're talking about. Actual medical professionals look at this stuff and say, look, most human beings are not inherently more brittle than others. But some guys just get unlucky when it comes to these things. But I, I think yeah, like with, with Tua, so like with a quarterback injury prone is like, if you're getting injured, chances are you're not good at taking right. hits or you're taking more hits than you should. Therefore, your playing style is more likely to uh, lead to more injuries. Yeah. I would say with LaVisca, the concern is, do you lose a step? Sure. Right. Do, that's the that's the thing. Not like, are you going to be hurt? It's like you played like you were four, four. Are you going to play like you're five, four, five? You know, like you played quick. Are you still going to be quick? Because if he's just an if he's just like a four, five, five receiver, he's probably not special. 
if he's a guy like in 2018 who played like he was four four with shiftiness at six foot three with running back like skills okay that's that's something there you know uh the floor for for, for chenault if he's healthy is the jet sweeps right put him in space type of guy but he also has good hands made some contested catches he also has actual receiving skills yeah. too so those together is where his ceiling is. I think the fact that he might not get there is the fact. How's he going to bounce back? What's his health going to look like? I, I like I like that pick. I think Chenault is absolutely a first round talent if injuries aren't a question mark. But injuries are a factor, so he slid. And I think, I, like I say, I, I like taking gambles on those guys that have had some injury question marks. I think stopping his slide in the second where they got him is absolutely the right thing to do. My concern with the draft as a whole is that it just it's another one of these. It's all like that, right? It's almost all these long shot gambles. And I just, that strategy of drafting, I don't like. I don't like putting all my eggs in in boom or bust prospects because the chances that all of them bust leaves you with like a completely worthless draft. I'm way more of a fan of, you know, diversifying that portfolio and trying to snag a bunch of sure things at the same so time. So CJ Henderson added to the cornerback depth chart. He's now with uh, Rashawn Melvin, DJ Hayden, uh, your boy, Perry Nickerson. I mean, it is, it is interesting how so, far down the Jag, it went from the Jags having Ramsey and Boye playing, you know, top 10 caliber football for both of them um, to some major question marks at cornerback. Uh, by the way, we talk about the Jags as, um, a tank for Trevor candidate. I think Gardner Minshew is too good for that. I really do. Like, like if you, based off what I saw last year, if you told me the Redskins will be in the, in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes or the Jags will, I might lean Washington there. I think Minshew's going to, he, they stumble into five or six wins with him at quarterback. I think what he did with DJ Chark on the outside, a, mediocre offensive line maybe Tyler Eifert rejuvenated and the def- the defensive overhaul though is is a massive question mark I'll say I will say that so um, anyway let's move on we gave the Jags an A Renner did because he liked where they got everybody rounding out to the AFC South how hard could it be the Tennessee Titans they had six picks starting with offensive tackle Isaiah Wilson from Georgia I think he's a massive project me the board 111th on the PFF draft board. They get him at 29 overall. Pun intended. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, I think Christian Fulton, though, a cornerback in, in the second round, is one of the most important picks yeah. in the draft. Just so yeah. he, the way I'll, I'll let you give me your take on the draft. I'll explain why I think it's the most important one, though, in a minute. Go ahead. Um, I'm kind of with you, right? I think they, I think their first round pick was a reach. It was, I don't like that pick. I think it was a reach and overdraft. Um, but reach is how of, he blocks. Reversed, really? Honestly, if you just, if you just flip the first two picks, take Christian Fulton at 29 and Isaiah Wilson at 61, it suddenly looks way better. Or if you took a good player so at 29 the, and then Christian Fulton at 61, it looks way better. Right. Whatever. But the point, my point is like, the players in isolation, I think it's okay. It's just I don't like the value of where they got him. But it's more that Isaiah Wilson, I think, is bad value, and then Christian Fulton fixes it with great value. So as I say, if you just decide, if you just invert the first two picks, it looks like a much better draft. Yeah. So, yeah, I get it. They they they're going to bring Wilson in. He could be a guard. He could be a decent guard. He might be able to come in um, and replace Nate Davis at right guard, who really struggled as a rookie last year. Dennis Kelly uh, is a 
is a mediocre option at right tackle, but that's that's fine for now. Maybe they want Wilson to eventually get there. So I, I get the reasoning there. The thing about Fulton, though, the t- I think part of the reason why the Titans have been this classic nine and seven ish type of team the last few years is because they've been rolling three deep in the secondary at cornerback. Um, I know they had they had injuries last year. They won more games because the the pass game really became one of the league's best with Tannehill. Uh, but Adoree Jackson, Malcolm Butler, and Logan Ryan, when they have been together, I mean that's one of the best trios in the NFL. That they won a lot of games by having random high end defensive efforts. Right? We always talk about how difficult it is to sustain good defense but when you at least have good players back there you can put together those those one-off good games and the titans did that because i think they could cover in a given week so logan ryan's gone and adoree jackson's in the last year of his contract right or they have to make a decision on him so um adoree jackson malcolm butler and now christian fulton both for the short and long term they have a chance if he can step in in year one to at least maintain the fact that they've been pretty good at corner the last couple years plus kevin byard in the back end. Uh, so I think that's huge for Tennessee. And um, I really think it's one of the most important picks in the draft, Christian Fulton, because we loved him. We thought he was a good zone player, good man player, higher on him than the rest of the NFL. He's one of the guys we knew was going to drop, I think, because of various reasons off field, mostly um, forced in completion rate of over 30%, which is the best in the class over the last two years. So um, rest of the class, I think, Unexciting running back Darrington Evans in the third round. Again, way higher than we would have taken him. Cole McDonald in the seventh round. Uh, our uh, one of our that. newest uh, analysts, Seth Galena, came in and he's, you know, former quarterback up in Canada and um, quarterback is his thing, right? He thinks Cole McDonald at least knows how to play, has some tools. Yeah. And understands the pass game a little bit. Makes some ridiculous. Re- Ridiculous decisions, ridiculous decisions, but knows how to play. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Like if you on the one hand, you've got Cole McDonald in the seventh round. On the other hand, you've got Jordan Love in the first round that took a trade up to to secure that. Like there's not a whole world of difference between those two guys. So I think, you know, the seventh round is where you take take a guy like that. Like, okay, yeah, there's some major flaws and the chances of him ever becoming an NFL quarterback are pretty slim. On the other hand, there's some fantastic tools and it's got to be fun to see if we can actually do anything with it for a year or two. Um, so, yeah, I, I love that. It's all pick. about the payoff, man. It's all about a low the, risk, ridiculously high potential payout and see what happens. This was the uh, the Darrington Evans pick was interesting, right? Because, again, it's like running back third round higher than we want to take and blah, blah, blah. But Renner was making the point, when you look at all the running backs that were already taken at that point, like if you were in the running back market at that point, you kind of needed to jump, right? Because the it was reaching a point where the talent was all gone. You, had to, you do have to, now, play, obviously the you can make you the have to play the market a little bit, yes. Right. Now, you can make the argument that that just doesn't matter because you can find running backs anywhere. You know, that just doesn't matter. You can plug anybody into the system. If you were into the, if you came into this draft thinking we want to grab a running back, if you were at the point where they were ninety three and you looked at the list of running backs who were already taken, they were already off the board, you'd be like, oh crap! Like we can't wait. There's no way we can come back in round five and get anybody. It's the it's Bucks done. had to do. We have to snag this guy here. The Bucks had to do the same thing with Keshawn Vaughn. Like you, you know, they needed to come out of this draft with some kind of running back who can catch passes. 
they had a third round pick. They didn't have right. a fourth round pick. So they took him in the third, right? Because it's like, oh, we're not going to get him in the fifth. We have to at least have somebody that can catch passes out of the backfield for, uh, for Brady, right? So each team had to make those, those running back decisions. All right, moving on to the AFC West, starting with the Los Angeles Chargers. We gave them a C minus, Sam. This is, yeah. this is one of the drafts we liked the least. Last year, we loved their draft. To be fair, we loved their draft last year, and it wasn't that great. Off the bat with Jerry That's Tillery true. and an injured Nasir Adderley. We were wrong about the Chargers draft last yes. year. Maybe we'll be wrong about this one. Um, but the reason we don't like well, it. Yeah, let's let's wait from the Adderley. I know, we I know. Were, we'll wait on Adderley. Um, it was just an yeah. injury, but we go ahead. we do appear to have been wrong on Jerry Tillery. But again, it's year one. Let's see if he pulls it around. A lot of D linemen do but, take two years to uh, to go. So Rashawn Gary still has a shot as well. Um, with the Chargers, <laughs> we've it's tough to take Justin Herbert at six. Right. Again, I've done it in my mock draft before. I didn't love doing it. I, their roster is so, so good. They I, felt like they had to take I a shot. At QB. This, I would couch this like the Giants when they took Daniel Jones. Right. I wouldn't have taken Daniel Jones at six. I wouldn't have taken Justin Herbert at six. On the other hand, all you're doing, if he if you're right, it's 100 percent worth it, obviously. Yeah. Right. So this basically just comes down to the difference of evaluation. The Chargers apparently think Justin Herbert has the ability to be a quality starting quarterback at the next level. And if they are right about that, it's 100% the right move. Just as if Dave Gettleman is right about Daniel Jones becoming a quality starter, he's 100% right to take him at six, even if nobody else would have. Um, That's what it boils down to. We don't think that Justin Herbert can be that guy. The negatives are too stark. They're too big. They're too glaring. He needs too much of a swing back towards good in certain important areas for us to believe it's likely to happen. Um, and because of that, we would take him much lower as a gamble. But the charges obviously disagree. And it just we basically have to just say we wouldn't have done it. But let's see if you're right. Um, yeah, I, 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 I completely get what you're saying. The quarterback evaluation is so tricky, right? Because, you know, we, we throw our draft board together and it's like, uh, the, the Patriots have this disciplined concept of player value, right? And that's why the story of the Patriots draft was business as usual. They put the same values on players and they don't overspend on them and all that stuff, right? So in our in our world, we're like, Herbert's too risky in the top 10, but we'd take him maybe late first, early second. But at the same time, if you only have the sixth overall pick, which they had at the time, what's your alternative, right? You have a massive need at quarterback. And you're not in rebuilding mode. I think that's the tough part for the Chargers is they have a good roster. And then just a question of quarterback, depending on how you feel about Tyrod Taylor. Whereas if I'm in complete rebuild mode, I don't know if I force a quarterback there. I'd be back. You know, I, I don't know if you just decide to build the team first and then figure out the quarterback situation. So bottom line is Herbert's in a good situation. He's got some guys to throw to down the field. I think it's going to take really play into a skill set where he's not bad 10 plus yards down the field. Um, it's the short stuff and um, just general feel for the game in general, where we have some question marks about, about the way he plays the game and a lack of a lack of development the last couple of years as concerning yeah. as any, it's probably not a good sign, right? It's probably not a good sign that by far my favorite pick of their draft was the seventh rounder in KJ Hill. Um, I was literally tweeting as they made the pick that KJ Hill in the seventh round is an absolute steal for yeah. somebody. And if, an, even if I didn't need a receiver, I would make that pick because 
I would be so confident that he becomes like a quality starting slot receiver immediately. And then basically as soon as I tweeted that out, it was like, yeah, the Chargers just picked him like three right. seconds ago. So I think that's a great snag for that. Yeah, that, that is my favorite pick of the draft. And you know, our guy said it could be one of the absolute steals. Uh, PFF draft guide comparison was Cooper Cup, uh, another guy that you liked. You have a type, Sam. Um, so then the other move that we thought was head scratcher, of course, was Kenneth Murray, the Oklahoma linebacker going at 23 overall. They traded up to get him. They gave up 37 and 71. So once again, Kenneth Murray must have the value of two different players, essentially, uh, you know, or one extra player, so to speak. Right. Um, the, the players at 37 and 71, that was a steal for New England in the trade back. Um, and our question on Murray, I, I, I said this to somebody on Twitter yesterday. I said, look, uh, of all of our evaluations, linebacker is not the one I'm going to really pound the table for and say, you idiots, you took a guy that we're lower on with regard to Kenneth Murray, because if if linebacker has a shot to overcome shoddy production in the past, it's if they're athletic and have a skill set that you can use. He has a skill set that you can use, especially in that back seven with Derwin James and all the guys that we've talked about surrounding him. Like if they just use him to cover a Clyde Edwards-Alaire from the Chiefs now, the running back, there's probably some value there. He can do that. He works downhill really well. He can sniff out screens like he does some really good stuff. His feel for the game, though, too kind of like Herbert's just just isn't there. It doesn't have a great feel for playing zone and seeing crossing routes and all these different things. So um, we were much lower on Murray than, say, the rest of the NFL. There was a pretty good consensus, though, that he was a first round caliber player for whatever it's worth. So the player himself mm -hmm. might not be as bad as we thought, but the process of 37 and 71, those two picks trading up to get him massive risk there. Well, as I say, there's there's three things essentially, you know, wrong in air quotes um, with this pick. A, you trade it up to make it happen. So as you say, he essentially has to over, he has to be worth what two of the equivalent picks, lower picks would have been. That's usually unlikely. B, two, we don't love the player, period, as much as some of these other guys. When you look at the other players around the board that were going around this time, I think you could have taken a different player and had, and been better. And C, just linebacker generally is not the impact needle mover that it used to be. You know, linebacker used to be able to completely transform a defense and change everything. Now there aren't that many guys that do that. You know, there's Bobby Wagner. Luke Keekley's just walked away. He was another one. But cornerback, you know, this is a team that has this secondary that's like five-sixths of the way to being able to create this amazing dime package monstrosity that can go head to head with the chiefs but starting cornerback number two is the other question yeah. mark so if they'd done that traded in and snagged a christian fulton or a jalen johnson or a, you know whoever was still around at that point i cornerback would have made a ton more sense yeah i i'm with you man i think that would have been that would have been really nice for what the chargers have defensively so we went c minus um in part because of process in part because we didn't love that the players that they took um, until the seventh round, um, Las, Las Vegas Raiders, they ended up as a C as well. Uh, Henry Ruggs, the third goes in the first round at 12 overall. Damon Arnett at 19. Arnett was 88th on our draft board. And even using Austin's favorite, the athletics consensus board, he was just 63rd. Consensus yeah, the consensus draft board. So there's the PFF draft board which is right. And then there's the consensus draft board, 
which is like <laughs> an accumulation of everybody that's wrong. So it's probably a little bit closer to right. You know what I'm saying? Um, plus, it, in, it includes the right board, which is us. So, look, consensus board or not, everybody, there's a lot of people who thought it was a reach, right? And Well, everybody. Everybody except the Raiders. Right, and I know reach. people hate this. You don't know if it's a reach. Trust Mike Mayock. I mean, if Mike Mayock's board was a part of the consensus board, it'd be less of a reach because he would have been in the top 15 and would have skewed the numbers, right? <laughs> um, but here, regardless, the, though, you have to the know thing, the market right? and know how the rest of the league feels about these players. Right. So that's the difference. I, I think when it's a quarterback, that's the only time where I think all bets are off, right? If it's a quarterback, even if nobody else would have taken your guy until like the second round, I don't have a problem with taking a Daniel Jones or a Justin Herbert at six. If for no other reason, then you can't take whatever small risk there is that you got that part wrong, right? That your R&D into everybody else's draft board was just a little bit off and you, you gamble that he would fall 15 slots and he fell 14 and somebody else snagged him, right? I don't have a problem with taking a guy a stupid amount higher than everybody else would have at quarterback just to eliminate that, that uh, risk. But at corner, you can't do that anymore because you're giving up too much potential value for something that is, is this much of a risk. Like the strike rate at any position is, so, is sufficiently small that you should not be that confident in your ability to be better at this than everybody else when the difference in your evaluation Here's is Here's the so one great. other piece, so, right? Because I've heard Raiders fans say, well, they identified the guy that fits their scheme and does this and that. And we, we, I love scheme fit. I, I, it's, it's one of my favorite things to discuss. I, I see the way this team plays, and I see the way this guy fits in, right? However, the more we've studied scheme, a lot of the NFL, like 80% of the NFL does the same things, Right. And there's always this like yes. outlier 20%, whether it's the Ravens, maybe the Shanahan system. There's always a few outlier systems. Seattle's cover three. They're just, they are very specific outliers. It's like, this is really what we do. We don't deviate from it much. And it's different from the rest of the league. It's really only 20%. So like the Raiders aren't in that 20% from a scheme standpoint. Like, yeah, you play some off coverage. It's mostly zone. You play a little press man. Like that's 80% of teams, right? So I want to know what was it about Arnett that they thought was he was on or off the field a much better fit than Jalen Johnson, than Jeff Gladney, than Christian Fulton, and so, whoever it is. All the other guys that we thought were better than Arnett, what was it specifically about him that he had to be the guy at 19? Um, yeah, if you dive into the kind of coverage filters that we have and look at what the Raiders ran, they don't run any one thing. Right? This is not a team that has a very, very specific this scheme. This is what we run you know, 80% of the time, and that's we need a player that fits this. And if they don't, we're screwed. The Raiders run a little bit of everything. And if, any, if anybody was describing Arnett as a player, he was a man coverage specialist. Like we, He is a man cover guy. Like he, if you were looking for a scheme fit that fit his description, it would be like the Lions or the Patriots or one of these teams that runs man coverage an absolute ton. The Raiders are not one of those teams. So he might be a nice fit for what you want to do. But again, it's not like it's not a reason to propel him around higher on your board than everybody else had him. So then the Henry Ruggs pick, you don't love it in general. I, I'm fine with Ruggs at that point. I would have liked to see C.D. Lamb there. We talked about that quite a bit as a great fit uh, for Derek Carr. I, I think Ruggs has that big play potential after the catch down the field. I know all the question marks there. I I also hope that that 
encourages Derek Carr to throw the ball down the field more. Um, the other thing about Henry Ruggs versus, say, like a, a Jerry Judy, right? No, I don't think anybody thought that Ruggs is the more complete receiver than than Jerry Judy or C.D. Lamb, right? So, so when you draft him 12th overall, what are your expectations, right? Like if you have, if you draft C, when you draft C.D. Lamb 12th overall, and you're the Raiders, you're like, all right, he's probably going to be an Amari Cooper go-to guy. Like that's what we're trying to reproduce from 2015 and 16, right? But what happens when you have Henry Ruggs at 12th overall? And he's flanked by Tyrell Williams, Hunter Renfro, Brian Edwards coming in, Zay Jones. Are you expecting number one production out of him? Are you okay if he's just the deep threat number two? If he's just a Mike Wallace type, a Will Fuller type? Like I'm okay with that. I want to know if the Raiders expect more from him. Because I think that's when teams get into trouble. When they say, my first round pick has to be a number one wide receiver. Let's treat him like that. Rather than... Henry Ruggs is a complimentary piece, a one that I want on my team. Don't get me wrong, but he's a complimentary piece, but he's on a team that doesn't have many good compliments right now. So I want to see if they're trying to feed him eight to 10 targets a game just to justify the 12th overall selection. Yeah, look, I, the rug, I've, I've become like the anti-Ruggs guy over this process. And I, it's not that I dislike him as a player. It's that I just think the hype got out of control. Um, I think him in the first round makes a lot of sense. I think the upside is there to chase. And un- like I say, unlike a lot of these speed receivers, he, he is that ball skills guy at the catch point as well. He'll go up and get it. And I think there's value to that. Just that the idea that you would take him over CeeDee Lamb or Jerry Judy is nuts to me. Like they are so much more complete receivers than he is. And they were both available when they made this pick. And at that point, I just can't get on board with that. So they got Lynn Bowden to a guy that they already said was going to be more of a running back. He was the he was a slot receiver at Kentucky turned quarterback and just did. I mean, just a fun hashtag fun to watch. Did a fantastic job of adjusting the quarterback, throwing like three times a game and, uh, you know, just helping them, you know, be competitive when they didn't have a quarterback. Uh, Brian Edwards could be a pretty good player in the third round. A guy who goes up and gets it. Another one of those huge receivers in this draft. And then, of course, my favorite, Amik Robertson, the cornerback out of Louisiana Tech. You get him in the fourth round, and that's an absolute steal. I think he's going to be a baller at the NFL level, Amik. Yeah. What are you typing yeah, in me right so now? Too. Anything important? Um, I'm telling you, so you had this list of guys, right, that was uh, – you had all the speed receivers in one place. You drew up – you pulled up a, a playlist of these guys. Yeah. I think you need to lower your threshold to really dilate on the – yeah, okay. to really dial in on the future of a of a Henry Ruggs. I well, think. Deshaun Ruggs, Jackson ran four three five, so he's part of the cutoff as yeah, well. Yeah, so that's a problem. You might have to like, but I'll I'll <sighs> pair it. Down. Listen, I'm going to pair it down because I'm going to get Julio Jones out of there, Calvin Johnson. Like, there's a couple. That's what I'm real saying. Right? Freaks. You might have I, to I'll like, pair it down further. You might have to like cherry pick in guys like Deshaun Jackson who have who have um, shown that they are that guy. But the idea that Deshaun Jackson, it belongs in the same bucket as like a Kevin White, you know, just doesn't, or a Calvin Johnson yeah. just doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah. So I, for those who don't know, I, I'm going to, tr- I'm trying to do like a really in-depth study on these super I'm trying to find receivers. out what the hell Henry Ruggs is going to be. Yeah. Trying to, trying to really dial into the range of outcomes because once again, if I know I have Deshaun Jackson or if I know, then I want that. I really want that. Yeah. That has been a he's Jackson has had a major impact on every offense he's been on. 
Will Fuller has made a bigger impact than I anticipated because of his speed and his deep speed. When we evaluated him, we're like, hey, he can't do this. He can't do this. He can't do this. But he can do this one thing really well. And he has done this one thing really well. And it's been so important for the Texans offense when he's been out there. Um, so I, I'm trying to. But also, what's the difference between those guys and the next guy that runs four three or four two eight or whatever it is? So I'm trying to do a deep dive this offseason uh, and really get into that. So. I do think there's a potential wide range of outcomes with rugs. My big question is, do they feed him like a number one or do they say will fuller is your comparison? Mike Wallace is your comparison. You're a five. What's that? Lewis Murphy ran a four, three, five. Oh yeah. There's some names on there. You're like, what? I mean, dude, I actually really (laughs) forgot Terry McLaurin ran that fast because I I still don't see him as a, he doesn't play like a, a, a speed receiver. He gets open deep and all that stuff, but you don't look at him like, oh, he's, you know, burning the defense, but yeah, he was fast and how did he get end up in the third round? Terry McLaurin. I, well, it's because Ohio State never used him. Like yeah. he had he had Henry Ruggs esque production. <laughs> that was crazy. Um, so speed is just it's something I definitely want to study. So we thought it was a C draft for the Raiders. Uh, some question marks with Ruggs compared to the other receivers on the board. Arnett a question mark at nineteen, obviously. Bowden whatever you call him running back or slot or whatever it is, you're talking about a gimmick pl- type of player at 80. I don't hate that. And Brian Edwards at 81, I think could be a, a pretty nice player, um, but nothing else really special to round things out besides my boy, Amik Robertson, who will be a good slot corner at the next level. Get him at 139. Um, two more teams to get through Denver Broncos. One of our favorite drafts. They got one of the few a pluses from Mike Renner and the team. Their first two picks, you know, we talk about themes of the draft. The theme was get playmakers, get faster, mm-hmm. get playmakers. Uh, that speaks to what I want my draft to be. So Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler at the top. I didn't love, honestly, any of their well, Nite and Muti in the in the sixth round, a guy that we loved interior defensive lineman, uh, offensive lineman. Fine. But the rest of their picks, just OK. Judy and Hamler, though, carry this class. Yeah. God, I love that as a strategy. Um I, I like we talked before, I think that Jerry Judy on his own has a chance to move the needle on Drew Locke's potential going forward more than anything else they could have done. And they then came back and banked it up by taking KJ Hamler, who I think is one of the biggest X Factor players in this entire draft. So love that they just, you know, they're in the same position as, you know, the Jets with Sam Darnold or the Browns with Baker or any of these teams that don't quite know what their quarterback is yet. Like there's a ton of optimism surrounding Drew Locke, but at least 50% of that optimism is based purely on the fact that he isn't Joe Flacco, right? Yeah. The other 50% is like, I mean, okay, he's young. He's got a big arm. He's got the tools and he throw made some nice throws as a rookie. He also made some pretty terrible throws and we really don't have any idea what he is yet. Um, even more so than any of these other rookies who did, you know, a bit of good and a bit of bad. But John Elway doesn't have time to start over, right? So whether the rest of us are bought in on lock or not, he has to be. So he did the smartest thing he could do, which is, well, if I'm tied to this guy, let me give this guy the best opportunity I can possibly give him to have success. And whether it's like selfishly motivated or not in that, like, it's my job on the line. If, if this doesn't happen, it's the right thing to do give this guy the best chance yeah. to, to be good. Uh, George and Eric make a great point too. It's, it's, it's the best opportunity to be good. The best opportunity to know if you're not the guy, then you can move on. And then you still have these same guys to throw to with your next quarterback. I mean, from a, a, a I, from a team building strategy, I love it. Um, you still have Noah Fant at tight end. So 
We always talk about diverse playmakers. The Broncos have it. Cortland Sutton on the outside. There's your big guy. Judy can be high volume from the slot. Best route runner. Hamler can play the X outside. He could also play a move role, a slot role with quickness and speed. Noah Fant is your straight line tight end who can't do everything. He's not a mismatch weapon, but he doesn't have to be now in this offense. So that's a great way to have Fant as a complimentary piece. Not a guy you're going to try to treat as a Travis Kelsey or a Gronk. That's not his game. Um, and then Albert O that they get from Missouri who ran really fast at the combine and Austin still thinks he's slow. So they've got a ton of speed on this team. Uh, Drew Locke, one of the biggest winners in the draft. Muti could be a steal in the sixth round. Tyree Cleveland, more speed at wide receiver. Who knows if he ever sees the field. The other one interesting pick is McTelvin Aguim from Arkansas. Remember uh, Antonio Smith from the Texans and sure. the Cardinals mm-hmm. from a PFF grading standpoint. He'd be that guy that had like an 80 pass rush grade and like a 50 grade against the run. That is what Akeem could be like. He This dude gets absolutely destroyed in the run game and by double teams and all that stuff. But Renner is just in love with his pass rush repertoire and what he brings to the table as an interior rusher. So if you get a designated pass rusher late third round on the interior, that could be a win as well the, uh, from Arkansas. So uh, I think it's a I think it's a bit of a top heavy draft for the Broncos, but I love where it is top heavy. You yes. know. In, in, in good spots. Yeah. So um, Eric, Eric keeps making this comparison. Oh, where do you stand on this? Are the Broncos this year's 2017 Jags, 2018 bears or 2019 bills, the team with a really good roster questions at quarterback. That's going to win nine, 10, 11 games out of nowhere. Yeah. I, I, but I think the reason he keeps using that is he expects them like it's all based off the, the fool's goal that is the quarterback, right? It's like for a year they overachieve and then they're the team that we predict to tank the next season because it's all based off um, a mirage of quarterback play that was never going to sustain itself, right? I, I yeah. think it depends what Drew Locke turns into, whether they're that team. I think overall his with his, I agree with his point that they're now in a good position that they can actually win some games and look pretty good. Like all of a sudden, this roster is in a really nice shape. Um, whether they become the next version of that team is essentially dependent on whether Drew Locke becomes a quality starting quarterback or whether he just like steers a ship this year and makes everybody buy into something that isn't really there. Uh, yeah, I, I will say too, like if you just look at Denver's depth chart, Obviously, we're talking about the offense really developing, right? The cornerback situation doesn't look great. But with Vic Fangio there, we've seen him take the Bryce Callahan's of, Bryce Callahan's of the world. And, you know, do a, he, he can hide his corners a little bit, right? It's uh, They put a lot of pressure on the safeties. They brought Justin Simmons back. Uh, they have Kareem Jackson back there. They do a lot of disguise, play a lot of zone. You don't necessarily need the best corners in the world. So losing a Chris Harris and not necessarily replacing it. Well, you bring in AJ Boye, but right. um, it's it's not as big of a question mark, maybe, as it looks on paper because of that scheme. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Boye is big. Yeah. The, yeah. You lose Harris, but you bring in Boye. You know, they've got decent play at the linebacker position. Their front is pretty impressive. Um, obviously, a lot of this is dependent on Von Miller not declining like last year was by far the worst season of his career if that doesn't reverse itself that could become an issue at some point right but otherwise like look at the weapons on offense now the offensive line should be good enough to hold up even if it's not necessarily a strength um like all of a sudden this is a roster that's in pretty good shape if the quarterback can hold up his end the best thing about the broncos here is as i was playing out the first round in the way i would do things 
based off the the top end wide. I thought the Broncos would be on the outside looking in when it came to the top receivers and and that they might have to just settle for a Derek Brown or Javon Kinlaw type. But they got Judy and got Hamler. So it, it obviously it went different for them. Maybe than I thought it would play out. And I, I thought that was a huge win for them. All right. Let's wrap it up. Kansas City Chiefs, your Super Bowl champions. They kick it off after so many people said they were going to draft a running back and we laughed at them. Mm. We look like idiots. Egg on our face. Running back Clyde Edwards Hilaire goes first round to the Kansas City Chiefs. They had a few other intriguing pieces beyond that, but let's start with the Edwards Hilaire pick. Uh, Andy Reid loved him. They they just loved him in general. Yeah. And Patrick Mahomes loved Andy him. Reed, Mahomes loved him. Reid thought he was better than Brian Westbrook. Yeah. Still was it the right move at 32? No. I mean, it's not the right move. I, here's the thing, right? I think I, I think there's very small a very small chance that this pick doesn't look good. Um, I th- the situation is too good. This is maybe the best situation for a running back in the NFL, and if it's not, it's the second best. So Edwards Hilaire is going to go from the best college offense with the best college quarterback to the best NFL offense with the best NFL quarterback. He is going to look every bit as good in the NFL as he did in college because the situation is like a can't-miss prospect for a running back. This offense made the running backs they had there last year look good. It made running backs before that look good. It will make the running back look good. The reasons that that is true are the reasons you don't take a running back in the first round because it will make pretty much any running back look good. And even if Hilaire or Edwards Hilaire is a notable step above some of these other guys, it's not going to move the needle enough to justify that pick when you could have taken, say, a cornerback and dramatically improved a player at a certain position on your roster in a way that would actually work its way to winning football games. So I think he'll look great. It's just a bad pick. In a vacuum, if his usage pattern is the same, fine. But is is it truly just down to they're going to hand it off to him more? They're going to try to feature him more? I don't think they'll even feature him more. That makes it an issue? No. You don't think so? I mean, there was already talks about them saying look we just we want to be more productive on first down we want to pick up we want to pick up seven yards per carry on the first which you know nobody does i mean there's already talk about that so is andy andy reed is at the forefront of not worrying about run pass ratio it's andy right. reed and bill belichick the guys that just don't care mm-hmm. like i'll start the game with 28 straight passes i don't care is that going to change with the first round running back here with the brian westbrook type i don't know if it will because phil eagles fans are still yelling at Andy Reid for not running the ball enough, and he Correct. did have Brian Westbrook there. I, um, so as long as that doesn't change, he is a tough cover, right? He's a tough guy for the defense to to worry about because of Kelsey and Tyreek and the other options that they have. I'm more worried about the long term play with this. I, I don't. I'm most worried think about the long term. It changes that stuff. I, I don't think that Andy. That's the one thing I'm not concerned about. I don't think that Andy Reid is going to be one of these guys. That goes, oh man, I've, I've got a running back in the first now. I need to start feeding this guy. I need to feature him more in my offense. I think he's just going to slip in and he becomes a better version of LaShawn McCoy, of, of Williams. He's just taking that role and he's adding value over what they can bring. The, my point is simply that I think that's just not worth enough to take in the first round. Uh, particularly, like the Chiefs are interesting because obviously they, they're Super Bowl champions, they have the best offense in the NFL. 
But because it's so reliant on how devastating these few playmakers are and how great Patrick Mahomes is and how great Andy Reid is, this roster top to bottom still actually has a lot of holes on it. Like there's a lot of places the Chiefs could upgrade that would actually make a difference to this team that would make so much more of a difference than adding a running back. Even if they wanted to stay on offense and said, you know what? Tyreek Hill is like one off the field incident away from being suspended forever. Um, We've got a bunch of other guys, you know, Sammy Watkins is going to be out of here after a year. Like if they decided that we can, we can keep building contingency on offense, add a wide receiver to this. I think that would be a better pick than adding a running back. I just think running back is the least impactful thing they could have done in the first round to actually winning games. It's also the same answer we give with the Ravens, right? The Ravens use the running back a lot, but they also have a history of whoever's back there is averaging five yards carry because everything else is awesome. Mm -hmm. The Chiefs and Andy Reid have a history of getting the most production out of the running back on a per play basis in the passing game and having productive runners. So whether it's Kareem Hunt, who's an awesome player or Damian Williams, the production's pretty much the same. Like it's, it's very similar. Like they always have a guy that's really, you know, catches screens. And because the, the screens are well-designed, they score touchdowns and they pick up big yardage. Now, will Clyde Edwards Hilaire, I like the fact that he's got some history playing in LSU played in empty sets, lined up at wide receiver and all that stuff. And that adds some flexibility to the offense. I think the short term impact will be slightly positive compared to say a Damian Williams and what they had, right? Assuming he hits the ground running as a, as a rookie, the long-term impact of we've never seen Patrick Mahomes for an extended period of time without Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and the good supporting cast. So Patrick Mahomes is awesome. I think throughout his entire career, he will elevate the supporting cast around him, but boy, do I really want a better supporting cast year. in. I just want, always want that to be at the high end right now. It's at the high end, mostly because of those two guys. Um, maybe the best pass catching tight end in the league and the most, dynamic deep threat in the league if you lose one of those in the next two or three years what happens to the offense right can i don't think Miko hardman becomes the next tyreek hill but you have to keep trying to find uh, more of those guys or you're going to have to spread it out a little bit more and not rely on one guy as much so that's where i want to replenish because they're like a year or two away from either having to pay those guys a ton of money or losing one of them or having a lot more question marks around him. So that's my question for the chiefs. Uh, Willie gay, second round linebacker, a guy that we liked more top of the second round. We love that as value really fast, great coverage ability. Lucas Nyang in the third round, classic developmental tackle. I love the forward thinking approach. He'll back up Mitchell Schwartz and, and Eric Fisher there uh, fixes pass sets. He could be a, a huge steal at 96 overall. And one of my favorite players in the draft is Legarius Sneed out of Louisiana tech ran sub four, four free safety at Louisiana tech who had outside cornerback experience in previous years. And that might be his best role. If that's what they're trying to do. Absolutely love that pick. And one of the guys I thought was a potential steal going in, if you can get him fourth rounder later, I'm all in. And, and the chiefs did that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the rest of their draft was solid. Um, I just, I, I don't love, what they did in the first round. And yet the ironic, it, the funny thing about it is it will look like a great pick. Like I, he'll be productive. He'll look like a superstar. He'll look like LSU, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire. It's just causation versus correlation. What's actually making that happen. And I, it's not him. Here's, here's what I wonder, right? Is there a team that would take running back 
and build up his value and then trade him. Right. And so if the, if the Chiefs, if, if, if what the picture that I painted two years from now, the Chiefs actually have questions on the perimeter and at playmaker and Clyde Edwards Hilaire is coming off two years where he scored 15 touchdowns a year and he's catching 50 plus passes and he's a huge part of this offense. Like I think Alvin Kamara after year two with the Saints, Christian McCaffrey at this point in his career. Can you be disciplined enough to just steal the production out of him for two years and then trade him? Assuming the NFL is not forward thinking enough like like we think we are to have devalued the running back completely there. Could you get another first round pick for him then? Could you get a second round pick for him then? Right? Because if you if you spend a late the 30 second pick, get two years of really good production where it did make your offense a little bit better, and then flip him for a second round pick, maybe that's worth it. But I just don't know if that's even the approach. And if you could take this guy because you'd have to think, oh, man, this guy's awesome. I feel great about him. He's one of the best backs in the league after two years. But can you be disciplined enough to then flip him for other value? Yeah, I don't think anybody is having that as a particularly large part of their thinking. But I think it's possible that it's like in the back in the background somewhere that's like, hey, you know, potentially this guy becomes a useful uh, trade tool for us down the line. We can do the same thing again. Um, I certainly don't, th- I don't think the stability is there for anybody that works in the NFL to be able to think that long-term, honestly. I know. I, yeah. So that's a great point too. I mean, I, so many of my theories are like three and four year plans right. that guys don't necessarily have to execute, which is why I really uh, applauded the 49ers DeForest Buckner trade and all these different things. If you look at every investment as what did I put into it? What did I get out of it? And what did I get back at the end of it? If you look, if you can look at those three things um, and truly evaluate all of those decisions and come out on the winning side more often than not, I think you're going to have a good roster. Um, it, but to me, that's 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 how you get that value back from the Edwards Alaire pick is if you have two great seasons and then flip them for something equivalent, you know, and that's why I'm going to tell Eagles fans on Thursday, the Jalen Hurts pick was great because you bought some insurance and, you know, there's some high-end payout there, and there's a floor of having a backup, and there's there's some good things there. We'll talk about that Thursday, though. So that's it, Sam. We made it through the AFC. That wasn't too bad. Yeah. It's good discussion, man. Good we discussion. Um, so a couple things, some housekeeping items that are very important. First off, don't forget, draft 2020, 2020. Once this podcast is over, you're going to go to pff.com. You're going to find Edge or Elite, whichever package you like. I always prefer elites because it's got all of our best stuff but no matter what you're going to get 30 percent off either one for the year so draft 2020 it's 2020 we're one podcast away from straight full-on off-season mode so we'll do our nfc grades on thursday then it's the off-season we've got some uh new things planned for this off-season but we always like to hear what you guys want to hear about so looking for more podcast ideas topics various things that you guys want to uh, want us to talk about want us to explain uh, questions you guys have, whatever it is, get us all of your thoughts on the PFF NFL podcast, because May, June and July, hopefully not much longer when we don't have football, we can uh, get creative and, and do some new things. Right, Sam? Yeah, I got some trivia for you, Steve. You're always annoyingly good at these. So let's see if you can break oh, this. Boy. All right. According to the latest uh, undrafted free agent tracker I'm looking at, one team is leading the league in terms of the number of undrafted free agents they have signed. Two teams are tied for second. Tell me who the three teams are and what the number of free agents they've signed is. 
Is Seattle one of the teams? No. Uh, I'm not good at this right now, then. Um, Raiders? Nope. I'll give you one All more right, guess, and I'll, I'll tell you teams, and then you just got to guess the numbers. Who is leading an undrafted free agents? I can't remember who the team is that always goes crazy there. Seattle usually goes crazy, but it might just be financially, not so much in numbers. Uh, who ne- Jaguars? No. So the Baltimore Ravens lead the league. The Chargers and the Cardinals are tied for second. Now, how many players have the Baltimore Ravens signed as undrafted free agents? 18. 22. 22. The Chargers and the Cardinals are tied for second with 20 each. I would definitely. I mean, I would go nuts on this. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. Particularly, it's, it's low risk. The Vikings, so the, the Vikings usually do a lot of it as well, but they went nuts during the draft, so I don't know if they had the yeah, main roster spots. But you see it, you know, heading into the draft, there's always the number of players actually under contract, and, like, some right. teams only had, like, 50 players. So they needed to... Right, to so they need, like, 40 down. guys in the next week. Yeah, it's such a... It's a fascinating investment, because all those guys are making signing bonuses, 50000 80000 so... To me, if you like add all those up and you steal like three players, it's, it's all that investment. And maybe you get three players out of it, four players, whatever it is. But it's definitely worth taking those shots. Yeah. So, go Ravens. Cool, man. Good show. Good stuff. Thanks to everybody all weekend. Man, we did a ton of coverage, broke all sorts of records for us at PFF. So we appreciate everybody for tuning in, for buying Edge and Elite, for just uh, reading all of our content, all the great stuff. This week, we're not slowing down. So PFF.com. Read all of our draft recaps and all that stuff. And don't forget, draft 2020-2020, and you get your 30% off Edge or Elite for the year. Thanks, guys. We'll see you guys again on Thursday. quick break to tell you guys about nfl game pass the only way that you can replay every game all season long you can relive all the gutsy calls crazy catches wild comebacks and breakout stars from every game every week it's all the action all the football you can handle all in one place so every game that we're talking about right now you guys can re-watch it after the fact i'm gonna be going back and you guys can too go check out lamar jackson in week one go check out dak prescott and what that cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.